0: Hello, working people of Southwest Washington.
1: You're listening to Episode 6 of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We're also a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Find out more about the network at laborradionetwork.org.
0: I'm Shannon Myers.
1: And I'm Harold Phillips.
0: And before we get started, we wanted to remind you that the views and opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council, its affiliates, unions, its guests, unions, or employers, or even the spiders hiding in their bedroom in the corner.
1: I don't know that we can be sure about that last part. It's October, Shannon. It's Halloween time. Do not go looking for the spiders.
0: Mm, I hate spiders.
1: Kind of got a feeling you weren't a fan. Mm -mm. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, Shannon, I don't know about you, but my social media feeds are blowing up as the election gets closer. And some of the stuff I'm seeing is just crazy.
0: Oh, man, it is coming all over the place. Left side, right side, middle. I don't know what to believe. People are getting mean and angry and it's really starting to destroy relationships and you don't even know what's real and what's not and we're all fighting about it
1: add to that the fact that in the past few days i've seen reports of the fbi shutting down foreign operations that were masquerading as legit news sites how's your average working person who barely has time to pay attention to their family supposed to be able to tell the difference Luckily, we've got three media professionals with us today to try and answer that question. First off, let's welcome Tim Gordon. He's a news reporter from KGW, and he's also the sag shop steward down there. Thanks for joining us, Tim.
2: Nice to see you guys. Glad to be with you.
1: Tim, what is your beat? What's your general assignment?
2: I live up in the Vancouver area, so I tend to do a lot of stories up this way, but I really like stories that involve people you know any chance I can get to humanize a story and get to someone who can share with us what's going on for them is interesting to me
1: we also have Katie Gillespie who until recently was the education reporter at the Columbian and she's now the incoming administrative officer for the Pacific Northwest Newspaper Guild thanks for joining us Katie
3: thank you for having me
1: Are you still at the Columbian?
3: October 10th is my last day, and then I uh, start up at the News Guild on the 13th.
1: And we've got Suzanne Sutherland, who is a communications professor at Clark College. Thank you so much for joining us, Suzanne.
4: Yeah, thank you. I'm glad
1: to be here. It used to be we had three TV networks and a couple of radio stations. And now when we talk about media, it's all kinds of different stuff, right?
4: Right, yeah. Social media. Some people even consider graffiti media. So social media, major networks, uh, radio, newspapers, magazines, the music industry is considered mass media. All of those messages that come from the outside and influences every day, that's mass media.
1: Tim, you're in television news. Katie, you're in print journalism. Have you guys been affected in your professional lives by some of the misinformation that seems to be swirling out there?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, we have. For me personally, I'm confronted a lot more by readers who doubt the legitimacy of the work that we do. It's definitely a major part of our industry
2: right now. Right. And the ugly irony is that it goes right to the top. You know, we've got a president of the United States that um, from the beginning it is called generally trusted sources of news and information, fake news, because it doesn't suit him, (laughs) you know, we hear that we're fake news, we're villainized, while there's a lot of fake news out there that's not coming from good sources, and a lot of people are buying that line. So it's a huge turnaround, and it's a tough thing to go up against.
4: It's useful, I think, to understand, at least to some extent, why this is happening. There are so many different media outlets, and there's so much competition to get the audience between those media outlets, that it's really the dramatic story, the polarizing issues. Those are the things that draw people in because one, they don't really require a lot of thinking. You can cover that stuff really quickly. And then two, it's more exciting. The impact is that we are looking at issues as either right or wrong. Either you're with me or you're against me. Either you're pro-choice or you're pro-life. That's Abortion, gun rights, those issues are very complex. And we've deteriorated into either being one or the other. And choose your side. You don't really have to think about it. And you can also find the media outlet that will confirm your bias right away.
0: I have a question, just being a consumer and not in communications.
1: Are you sure? You're doing a podcast right now.
0: Yeah, okay. I am in communications. I do have a degree in marketing and public relations as well, but I am not in communications like our guests are, Harold. I remember when I was growing up, you turned to the news and that was fact. It wasn't opinion news. And that's one thing that I get in a fight a lot with my family members at times is depending on what news channel you're watching, you know, one is fake news, one isn't, one is opinion, what not Why is it now opinion
4: versus fact? We get 24-hour news now through all these different cable outlets. We get 24-hour news through the internet and the competition is infinite. So... The ability to actually hire reporters to go out and actually do research is minimized. And then with all of that time and the lack of ability to actually report real news, they're going to fill that with opinion and guise it as news.
2: Let's face it, we've got so many channels, whether they're on a TV screen or your computer screen or your phone. But, you know, we've got cable news networks that certainly have news programming, but a lot of opinion programming as well. And so there's part of the issue. And then off to the internet we go. And as Suzanne was saying, there is so much information there. There's so much competition there. There is a lot of stuff that's just not news, or it's one of the things to watch out for. It's got a nugget of truth. That's what gets you in. And then there's a huge amount of disinformation involved in it.
3: I think there's a really interesting intersection here of the labor conditions for journalists with what we're talking about. It used to be that newspapers were like the Colombian, where it was a local family who owned it for decades or more than 100 years and was fully invested in that community. And now we're seeing massive media consolidation with billionaire hedge fund owners that stand to make a profit. We have a lot of news organizations that have incentivized, for example, the number of clicks that a journalist gets on their story or have tied pay or raises to these sort of arbitrary numbers that are deemed to be what drives revenue. So the disinvestment in good journalism is really systemic in our industry. And this is
0: the thing that we've seen in all industries, and it needs to stop. Yeah, agreed.
4: When it comes to conglomerates, I think We're down to about three or four different mega conglomerates that control the majority of media that we consume. And yeah, it would be great if we could stop it. But I think we need to take responsibility as individuals and seek out those more credible media outlets like the Colombian, like your local newspaper, like your local TV news. And then check on those Internet sources as well, because I don't think the conglomerates are going away.
0: So, when you talk about fact checking and finding reliable sources, can you maybe give some of our listeners ideas on how to fact check and maybe where to go?
1: Yeah, it's easy to say check your sources, but when there is such a torrent of information and things are obscured and you've seen the same story coming from multiple places, that can get pretty hard. So, How do you go about checking your sources?
3: so I'm on the board of the Society of Professional Journalists, uh, Western Washington Professional Chapter, and we're having some conversation about quick tips for identifying a legitimate news source. And uh, a few of them, vet the author. You know, if you see somebody who's reporting and it's uh, Superman 420 reporting live from the ground in Portland, you know, there there may be some questions about that source and whether they're doing their job. You know, run the author's name through Google. Can you find other stories that they've written? Can you find their biography, be aware of the sources that journalists are using. I know we often see particularly in national reporting stories that rely heavily only on unnamed sources or maybe things that look a little bit suspect. You know, Do some research on what kind of sources people are looking for. Look for other news organizations, legitimate news organizations like the New York Times, CNN, the Associated Press that are reporting similar news. There are a number of ways to make sure that that meme that your aunt shared on Facebook are legitimate. So our best advice is to do your homework and make sure that you're not getting duped by by what you're seeing out there.
4: A lot of media scholars would advise us to look at most of the news that we're exposed to as infotainment and that most of it's really there to entertain or to make us feel a certain way or to confirm, like I was saying before, our biases. I think trying to locate those credible sources and sticking with those and Pairing those with other strong sources is a good way to go as far as making sure that your sources are legitimate.
2: You know, regardless of whether it's accurate information or not, we're human beings. We are ruled by our emotions a lot of times. And let's face it, the internet has shortened our attention span so much. And you're cruising along Twitter and you see something, it sounds right, and you share it, but you really need to do more than that before you do, because you're Could well be sharing information that's not accurate. So, no, you really have to read beyond the headline. You really need to read the entire article. You need to fact check it, like Katie was saying. And there may be again a nugget of truth around a bunch of BS. And slow down, read the whole thing, and be sure you want to share it before you do.
3: I think another thing that we've experienced in our family, um, we have family members that contact us and they say, "Hey." I'm looking at this thing. I'm looking at this story. It seems kind of crazy. What do you know about this? And not everybody has a journalist in their life, but maybe you've got somebody who's a little bit more media savvy or is (laughs) not quite as swayed by Facebook. If you have somebody like that in your life, ask people if you feel like you're running the risk of sharing something that isn't legitimate. It goes back to that idea of slowing down, taking a breath before you get to that point.
4: So, another tip is to be curious and to wonder, especially when we're looking at stories about polarizing issues, you know, what is the alternative viewpoint or viewpoints? And where do those come from? What's the rationale for the other way of thinking? And just be open to other ideas. Trying to find more information is just going to make you a more informed citizen.
1: So, this idea of misinformation as opposed to disinformation. What's the difference between those two things?
2: My understanding is misinformation is information that is shared by somebody who didn't check their facts and just kind of shared it. But it wasn't intentional necessarily. You know, it might have been my mom or whoever, but it wasn't intentional. Disinformation is. So that's the difference. The disinformation is when it's intentional. Misinformation is when it's not.
4: Yeah, I get that it's really tempting to find an article or a piece of information that sounds great or it makes us feel good and we want to spread that, one of the things that I think we should ask ourselves is what is the intention of this story? Is this author writing this to inform and educate or are they basically trying to attract listeners or readers so that they can sell more advertising or are they trying to gain a bigger audience for their blog? So that's just one of a list of things that we could do to try to check ourselves ask yourself, what's the intention of this story? What's the intention of the author?
1: I can see a lot of our listeners who don't necessarily think much about it, right? They see a funny meme on Facebook. It makes them laugh. They hit that share button without going through some of these steps that you've laid out. What's the harm? I mean, really, what what's the big deal?
2: I'd say the harm is you're continuing the problem that's out there. If you're not Looking at what you're doing and you're sharing information that may not be true, it may feel good. I mean, we're learning more and more that the algorithms with these social media groups, uh, they support our seeing what we want to see and what makes us feel good, but may not be based in fact or may not have been researched. or may not come from a reputable source. So I think that's the danger. We're all emotional creatures and that's good. We should feed our positive emotions and we all want to feel positive. But you know you don't want to do it at the expense of being part of the misinformation or disinformation
4: problem. We develop and build our identities with our communication, with how we communicate and what we communicate. And I think most of us want to be seen as honest, legitimate, intelligent human beings. And once we start forwarding or sharing things that are inaccurate, that starts to take a toll on our reputations and our credibility. But so ultimately. Who's going to believe us if we continue to share inaccurate information?
1: Suzanne, bringing it into the personal. I think that is a great sentiment to go out on. But before we wrap this up, any final thoughts you want to share with the audience? I know Shannon's going to have one because she always has a final thought.
2: I don't have a final thought.
1: It's all you guys.
2: I would just say slow down and be kind to each other. And thanks, you guys, for putting this on
4: if more media outlets were organized and writers and reporters would have more job protection and they could actually report legitimate news instead of this sort of trash news that attracts a lot of people so i think union media outlets would help to at least to some extent the problem with misinformation and disinformation
3: yeah um unionize your newsroom and if you want to do that You can call me in a couple of days and subscribe to your local newspaper. Right on, sister.
4: Organize,
0: organize, organize, organize. Support your local paper for sure. These are the reporters that are going out and telling our local stories and then the hardworking people in our communities. So, yes, support your local newspaper and your local stations.
1: And she said she wasn't going to have a final thought. I knew that wasn't likely. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing some of these tips with our listeners. I really hope that they take them to heart. We want to thank Suzanne Sutherland, professor of communications at Clark College, Tim Gordon, news reporter at KGW and sag after a shop steward, and Katie Gillespie, who is the outgoing education reporter at The Columbian and incoming administrative officer for the Pacific Northwest Newspaper Guild. Thank you so much, everybody.
5: Hey folks, it's Mark, your host on My Labor Radio. You can find us on multiple podcast platforms, and this show is now part of the Labor radio Network.org. You can discover more than just us by visiting their website. The Labor Radio Network will help you find your next new favorite union podcast or radio show, a simple network of folks from across the nation. Working people keep raising their voices more and more each day and demanding better treatment from their workplaces and their elected officials. As you know, these voices don't get heard very much on the corporate-controlled media. But the 21st century's labor movement has a new way to get its message out there. And working people don't rely on traditional media gatekeepers. It's now the internet, so you can turn off your TV to get the real news. So that gets us to that one-stop shop. Just visit laborradionetwork.org. On the main page, you'll see a grid of show logos. Just click one, and the description and links pop up right there. It's worth going to visit this ever-growing Voices of Labor resource. Join us at laborradionetwork.org.
1: Someone else who's very concerned about getting the right information to people and making sure that discourse is civil is history professor Donna Sinclair. She's also running for the state legislature in the 18th district. Thanks for joining us, Donna.
6: Hi, Harold. Hi, Shannon. I'm excited to be here. I just want you to know.
1: And we are excited to have you. Donna, how does you being a historian fit into this idea of being a smart media consumer?
6: That's a great question. As a historian, what we do is look at primary sources. Primary sources are the materials that come from a time period. So that means that we're looking at the news from the past oftentimes, um, both the fake news and the real news. And so being a history professor means that you are essentially trained to read through those documents to determine What's happened, what's true. So, one of the best skills that a history student comes out of a degree with is the ability to read several documents, corroborate their evidence, and glean from that what's true and what's not true. History is not about opinion, it's about documented evidence that tells us about what's happened in the past. So, that's my short answer, but get me started and I'll give you a longer one.
1: Now, How is your training as a historian going to be applied to your job when you get elected to the legislature?
6: Again, historians take thousands and thousands of documents and look at them in order to draw conclusions, to figure out what has happened in the past. And they learn to do this in a systematic way. They learn to actually find out what happened first, what happened next, right? So when you have thousands of documents that you have to condense into something like a 400-page book or a 200-page book, it requires you to really dig in and figure out what's important about that. That's what you have to do with public policy, too. You have to talk to a lot of different people, and you can talk to them about their experience, and that's something that I've done. But you also have to know what are the laws, what are the rules and regulations, and how do those things fit with people's experience? Again, we draw from all of these pieces of evidence in order to really determine what's happened, how it's happened, why it's happened, and what it means. I think the same kind of skill set really applies to being in the legislature.
0: I know that it takes a lot to step up and run for office in our community. So tell us, why are you running?
6: Well, I'm running for office because I care about our communities. It really comes down to that. And at the very beginning of this, when Harold introduced me, he said that I'm someone who cares about civil discourse. Part of what happened for me is I saw the breakdown of civil discourse in our society. People were just hammering on their own issues, not talking to each other. It was divisive. And then I realized that at the local and state level, our representatives were entrenched in ideological positions rather than working on behalf of the community. Right around that time, there were a lot of people saying women should run for office. My mother did ask me several times to run several years ago. And I said, I have no desire to do that. I do not want to be a politician. I have no desire. But I have a background and experience that really prepared me to do this kind of work. And as an adjunct professor, I had some flexibility. So I started getting involved in the community. About four years ago, I decided to run for the school board because that's a natural fit for me. And it's great experience to take to the legislature. So that's why I decided to run. I care about the community. I want to create a better future for all of us here in Clark County. And the 18th is really affected by everything that happens.
1: Where is the 18th legislative district? Can you describe it to people who don't live up here?
6: I can even describe it for people who do live here because a lot of us don't even know that we live in the 18th legislative district, right? And the 18th is like a horseshoe around Clark County. That's how I describe it. You have Camas and washugal in the east, and then it wraps up around to the north and includes... Amboy and Yakult and La Center and Battleground and Ridgefield. And then it loops back down to pick up Salmon Creek and Philida. So it's got parts of Vancouver and all of these other distinct communities. We have rural people. We have people who live in East County. We have people who live over near Vancouver Lake. We have all these different school districts that are connected to the 18th LD, it's really the district that touches on every single community in Clark County. So it is Clark County, if you ask me.
1: It must be really interesting managing all of the different viewpoints in that horseshoe-shaped district. You're going to be representing all of these different people with different viewpoints. How do you approach coming to some kind of a consensus?
6: Well, that's actually part of why I did this in the first place, I think that there are things that we all have in common, and that is we care about our families, we care about our communities, we care about our jobs. The way that you find consensus is to bring people together to talk to each other one-on-one. I've done that for years. I'm an oral historian. I helped to organize a series of programs with the Clark County Historical Museum called Clark County Stories. And we brought people together from all around the area to talk about issues like migrations, for example. We had a big migrations forum and we had people who came from very different backgrounds to talk about how did you come to this place? And when you start talking about people's experience, their personal experience, they find out they have a lot in common.
0: A lot of us from the labor movement go up to Olympia and we have lobby days where we go up and we talk to our representatives about what is important for us. I have yet to have an appointment set with any of my representatives in the 18th. And they always instruct us to leave our questions with their office and they never respond to us. We understand that we don't always have the same views, but I think that if you're going to represent the whole community, like you said, you need to be taking appointments and sitting down with all avenues. Is this something that you are willing to state that you're going to visit with everybody in Clark County as a community and, and not single out others that you don't agree with.
6: I am not only willing to make a commitment to that, I am eager to make a commitment to that. My entire career has been based on listening to people who I don't necessarily agree with and listening carefully. I have interviewed so many people and my job has been to listen so carefully that I'm asking good questions as follow-up, tell my students, hush up and follow-up. That's what I'll do in the legislature. I will be quiet and I will listen. and I will ask questions.
1: But at the same time, Donna, I'm assuming that there are some changes that you want to see in your district as a result of your run, right? What are your major issues that you're focused on?
6: My major issues are affordable and accessible health care better public schools. And I'll take my education experience there to work on that. And an economy that works for all of us, right? I used to be a waitress. I spent most of my early adult life waiting tables and taking care of kids as a single mom. So I know what that's like. So my goals are really to marry things like economy, healthcare, and environment all together and really work toward getting a North County Vocational Technical School put in place. I think there's a lot of opportunity to do things that have to do with green technologies, for example, and construction in North County, not just at Cascadia Tech, in Vancouver. We need to look toward the future and we need to make sure that everyone in the district, everyone in Clark County has equal opportunity to actually achieve a thriving future that provides them with the kinds of benefits that labor provides, like health care. Um, don't even get me started on healthcare because I have had it. I've been on and off of healthcare. I've had to purchase it myself. I will fight every single time to make sure that people have the best access to healthcare that is possible in the system
3: that we're in.
1: I'm really glad that you mentioned your early experience as being a waitress and and doing childcare because I think people see someone who's a history professor and they think that they live in an ivory tower, but the reality is. You didn't start out there, did you? You had to come from someplace. And it sounds like you've done a variety of jobs over the course of your life.
6: Well, I grew up in a family that had a restaurant in Long Beach and one in Vancouver. And at age 11, I started bussing tables, washing dishes, then became a backup cook, and then I became a waitress. And while I was a young mom, I was waiting tables um, until I was 30 while I started school. By then I was divorced. It took me until I was fifty years old to get a PhD, and I did this by juggling several part-time jobs. I've been an adjunct most of the time. I'm not a tenure-track professor. I make less money than most people who are waiting tables right now. I have to make choices about where I teach based on whether I can access healthcare or not. I was driving to Western Oregon University because in the state of Oregon I could get healthcare, even though I love WSU. Go Cougs! We have such a Dysfunctional healthcare system that someone who has a PhD is hired as a part time worker at a university that really likes me because the jobs that are full-time with benefits are limited deliberately.
0: I hate to hear that this is happening in our educational system as well, because we know this happens in all kinds of corporations where they keep people at a certain amount of hours, just under enough to where they're not qualifying for benefits. And then they say, hey, go on down to the state plan and hook yourself up with some benefits. And who is paying for that? The working people.
1: Yeah. But you think about stores like Walmart doing that, not a college.
0: It is not the employee's fault that they don't have health benefits. It's the fault of the employer and the corporations who are not providing benefits for those employees.
6: Well, the reality is that around the country, universities are hiring half of their faculty as part-time adjuncts. There are stories about adjuncts sleeping in their cars and being on food stamps because the pay is so low. So I'll tell you right now, I make $4,000 a class at Western Oregon University for the quarter. So that's for almost three months of work. So it's $8,000 over the course of three months, but I get benefits there. I make less than that at WSU Vancouver, and I can't even access the benefits. I'd be happy to buy into the system if I could, but I can't even access those good Washington state benefits. And I love WSU. Again, go kooks
1: even though you're a history professor, which seems like a really white collar kind of job, you're actually in the same boat as a lot of working people in our community and a lot of working people around the country. How do you expect this to influence the way you're going to work in Olympia, Washington state capitol?
6: When I say I want an economy that works for all of us, I'm talking about gig economy workers. I'm talking about Lyft drivers who can't get access to good health care, especially if the Affordable Care Act gets overturned. Um, That's really going to be a problem for people who can't access basic health care. Our foundational public health systems have been incrementally chipped away at. We need a system that allows everybody to have not just A health care plan, but access to health care.
1: Before we go, any last minute thoughts you want to leave the listeners with?
6: I think it's really important to be very thoughtful about the media that you consume because right now we are under deliberate attack. And when I say attack, I don't mean the kind of thing that you usually think of with bombs, I mean there are efforts to pit us against each other racially um, through class, something that we say we don't have in the United States. And that's coming through messages on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So if you're getting your information from YouTube, you need to actually read newspapers to find out if it's true. Go ahead and watch those things. There's some really smart people out there. But Really evaluate what you're hearing before you make the very important decisions about voting that will determine the future for all of the rest of us.
0: Well, I always have something to add at the end.
1: Oh, she does. Trust me.
0: I do. I do. So my closing statement is, number one, vote. Don't forget to vote. And number two, Donna, how do they get a hold of you if they would like to support your campaign, volunteer, even just get to know you so they can vote for you. They can contact
6: me through Sinclair4state.com. That's S-I-N-C-L-A-I-R number 4state.com. Or give me a call. My phone number is 360-771-9310. And I always want to hear from people. I am on Twitter at Sinclair for State. I am on Instagram at Sinclair for State Rep. Remember, it's the number four every time.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Donna Sinclair, running for Washington State House of Representatives in the 18th Legislative District. What's that website one more time, Donna?
6: It is Sinclair for State dot com. And please check me out on Facebook at Elect Donna Sinclair.
1: Thank you so much, Donna. And thank you for joining us, working people, for another episode of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council.
0: And don't forget, this podcast was recorded under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement.
1: You are so correct. Oh, Shannon, before we go, you wanted to tell them about some ways they can help candidates like Donna in the upcoming election, right?
0: Oh, yes, yes, yes. You can help us, the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We have endorsed some great candidates for all of the working people this year. You've heard from some of them already, and you're still going to hear from a couple more over the next couple weeks. But we're running virtual phone banks. Yes, they're not phone banks. They're actually fun banks. Fun Banks, between October 6th and October 29th. To find out more, come visit me at org.
1: And remember, working people, this is your show. We want to know what you want to hear on it. Email us at podcast at org, Or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at swwaclc.
0: And I know you listeners want to make me happy. So subscribe, hit the button, subscribe, and then pass it on to your friends and family. Thank you.
1: And give us five stars or thumbs up or whatever your platform of choice gives you. One more thing. Look, it's okay to be passionate about the people you support in this election and your side of the political argument. But remember, we're all on the same side. We're all Americans and facts matter be sure you check your sources before you share that thing online. Misinformation might make us all feel good in the short term, but it damages our country and our communities in the long run.
0: Or you could do what I do, which is I post pictures of my cute little chickens and bunnies and kids and support my local candidates.
1: Or you could do what Shannon does. Either way, we'll see you next week.